You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Eric Coleman. Hello, Long Island, New York. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, ex-NFL player, Eric Coleman. We are brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What's going on, Eric? Hey, nothing much, man. Just uh, enjoying the weather. You know, things have calmed down since the storm passed through. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about some sports today. Absolutely. By the way, it's it's not over over here in Long Island. I'm bo- There's so many different places here in Long Island that still doesn't have electricity. Smithtown over here. There are places in Nassau. It's crazy what happened over here. Nobody expected a huge storm like this to hit New York the way it did. It hit New York worse than it hit Florida, Eric. Yeah, that, I mean, that surprised me. You know, we uh, we were preparing all week for the, the hurricane, the touchdown, and then we barely got rain. And then it crept up the East Coast, and all of a sudden it just, you know, devastated it. So, you know, I pray for everybody up there. I hope everyone's safe uh, and everybody gets power because, um, you know, it's been a long time without power, and, you know, it's, it's tough in, the, in this hot weather uh, to deal with that. As you guys know, we have a very special show lined up for you guys today. At 7.40, we're going to have a guest, a very special guest, ex-NFL player Marvin Washington, 11-year vet in the NFL, played for the Jets, San Francisco, and Denver. We're going to talk a little bit about his career, some of his uh, off, you know, off-air, off-season, off-life right now with his family. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to get into this story, and this is a story that has been going on for a, the last past year uh, with the Anaheim Angels and former Angels staffer charged in pitcher Ty- Tyler Skaggs' death. And I want to read this story. ESPN posted this today. And I want to know your opinion, Eric, because uh, this is a crazy story. Nobody knew why Tyler Skaggs passed away. He, he, he swallowed his own vomit and, and died in his own sleep. But I want to read this story, and I want to know what you think. Eric Kay, a former director of communications for the Los Angeles Angels, has been charged by Drug Enforcement Agency with illegally supplying drugs to pitcher Tyler Skaggs, who died in a hotel room in Texas last year. Skaggs, 27, was found dead July 1st in 2019. After police responded to a report uh, of an unconscious man in a hotel in South Lake, Texas, he was pronounced dead at the scene after choking on his own vomit with toxic mix of alcohol and the powerful painkillers of fentanyl and Oxycontin in the system. The tyrant, uh, Tarrant County, Texas, medical examiner of office said last August, Kay was arrested in Fort Worth, Texas, and made his, his first appearance Friday in federal court. According to Aaron Neely Cox, the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Texas, Kay has been charged with illegal possessions with intent to distribute a mixture of substance containing a dictatable amount of fentanyl, which is a controlled substance. Tyler Skaggs overdose coming as it, it, as it did in the midst of the Essendon uh, baseball career should be wake-up call. No one in immune from the deadly drug, whether sold of powder hidden inside 
of the unconscious looking tablet nearly uh, I'm sorry Neely Cox said now I'm reading this story and it, what, what really bothers me about this story is Tyler Skaggs is a young player this is a kid that was 27 years old we don't know what he could have been or what he should have been but this is a guy that's had problems uh, with injuries over the years not only through his baseball career as a professional but his high school years he's had problems with his shoulders, problems with his knees, and obviously he didn't go to management. He went through a person that should not be selling drugs throughout the league, and we've seen this before. This happened with Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit. They were buying HGH from a trainer that worked for the New York Yankees, and it wasn't HGH that was a substance that was coming from a doctor, a legal doctor. This has been a problem in professional sports. This is a problem when I look at moving forward when you look at the industry and the sports industry. And I understand THC is a drug right now that a lot of professional sports do not want to bring in to the game. And I'm going to get, we're going to get into that with our guest Marvin Washington, who works heavily with cannabis. The problem right now is baseball and basketball and hockey and football. These athletes are getting hurt and they're trying to find ways to help these players stay on the field and play the game. And the problem is they're going through unorganized organizations or unorganized people that are not doctors that should not be prescribing these certain pills, these certain uh, substances to these players. So, Eric, you were a former player. What do you think about this story? I mean, you know about NFL players that have fought injury over the years that were taking Percocets and Vicodins that uh, the teams were giving them, uh, but they were given to them by doctors, certain doctors that were legal. This is this is a, a guy that is not a doctor who should not be handing drugs to any players on any team, on any player, on, in any professional sport. So what are your thoughts to this situation? Well, you know, first of all, rest in peace to Tyler Skaggs. Condolences to, to his family and the, the Angels organization. I know that was a tough loss for Major League Baseball. And to see a, a young player be taken away from us so early is, is a shame. And, you know, th- this goes back to the talk about drug addiction. You know, uh, addiction, you know, we're not, no one is immune to it. Uh, you know, especially as athletes, a lot of people who become dependent on substances are prescribed into it. You know, whether it be a car accident, you know, an injury, a lot of people are prescribed into addiction. And, and it's a it's a sad path because it's one of those things where these pills are so powerful. Uh, these these medications are so powerful that people get hooked on them. After a couple of days, it gets a hold of you. I've had several teammates uh, that struggle with addiction that have had problems, had issues, had to get uh, organ transplants and almost die. I know that we're helping a, a player right now. So dealing with injuries, dealing with recovery, you know, trying to bounce back from from all the soreness and all the all the torture that you put on your body is something that's a, a big issue in sports. I mean, your body is your weapon in sports. Your body is your is your vessel, and you know it's going to give out before your mind does. So that, that, that's why it's tough, and, I, and I'm glad that we have Marvin Washington on the next segment to talk about some of the alternatives because there are a lot of alternatives. And you know that I work in addiction, mm-hmm. you know, for Guardian Recovery Network, and you know, helping a lot of former players, helping a lot of people. Uh, find treatment solutions. You know, I grew up with addiction uh, in the household and and, uh, something I take very seriously. So any alternatives that we have to help these players, help people in general, have different options is is a beautiful thing. I was also around it too. My brother, my father, uh, very heavily on uh, certain narcotics uh, over the years, maybe because of stress, uh, depression. This has been a huge problem in professional sports, especially with the CTE situation with the NFL. 
But fentanyl is a very powerful narcotic. Uh, a lot of people have died from it. Um, athletes, movie stars, uh, musicians that have mixed drugs with alcohol. You don't mix drugs together. This is a huge problem in professional sports that I've argued about not only on this show but on different other shows uh, throughout the country that I've been on. Now, I'm questioning the, the Angels organization because the fact that the Angels organization didn't know that this guy was giving out narcotics of this magnitude to not just Tyler Skaggs. He was giving it to other players. Other players, thank God, did not die from it. Tyler Skaggs died by choking on his own vomit. It's it's crazy to think about that. Uh, Probably was asleep. They don't even know when they did the autopsy. They still don't know how he died, but uh, obviously he died from throwing up on his own vomit. But the question is, when you look at the situation with the major league and the NBA and the NHL and the NFL, they got to find a way to help these players. If there is a huge problem with drug addiction or if, if they're in pain or they, and they need a substance, there has to be a way that they can help these players get better. And I don't think they do enough of it. We've seen this in the NFL. We've seen coaches do Percocets and Vikings, a.k.a. the New Orleans Saints. We Remember that? If you don't remember that, a couple of years ago. So. Yeah. Well, well, the, well, the thing is, Arrow, NFL players, people in you know sport, you know people who are dealing with in athletics, they're no different than the regular society, right? You know, I think that this is more of a of societal problem than it is just a sports problem. I agree. Uh, yes, you know, it's a higher concentrated uh, area because of you know the the athletes having to to bounce back and use their bodies to perform. But you know, I, I know the NFL is, is taking a, has made a lot of strides. Mm-hmm. You know, with the NFL Legends community, we had Tony Richardson on you know a couple of weeks ago. You know, he's one of the guys who, who's leading the charge and, and helping guys find treatment solutions. Uh, you know, I know that when I see you know former teammates of mine and players struggling, you know, I call T Rich and I'm like, man, can you reach out to this guy? Can you guys get him help? You know, the the NFL has a um, has an organization yeah, where all the fine money goes to help players, you know, get into treatment if they're struggling with their bills, um, you know, if, if any, you know, hard times come about. So I know that for the NFL, they're, they're making strides to, to try to help players and help them transition. But uh, and I'm sure the other leagues are doing it because, you know, the, the Major League Baseball has such a strong uh, players union. So does hockey. Uh, so does basketball. I'm sure that they're really leading the charge and the NFL is following. Well, with the catastrophe like this, they have to be looking at this and trying to help some of these players. And I'm, I'm sure the MLB right now, Rob Manford, who I can't stand, that's just me. I can't stand him. Uh, he's trying to figure out this situation. Tyler Skaggs, this happened under his reign. Uh, I'm hoping that moving forward, not only the MLB, the NFL, and the NBA, and the NHL, all these organizations, even golfers. Uh, Tiger Woods has had problems with uh, substance abuse. So hopefully, moving forward, this is only going to get better. And losing a player of this age and this magnitude maybe will help moving forward. Hopefully. Hopefully. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our guest, ex-NFL player Marvin Washington, here on The Weekend Crunch. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, ex-NFL player Eric Coleman. We are brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Eric, we have a special guest. Why don't you introduce him? We, man, we have a, a great guest today, you know, a, a, a great friend of mine, uh, you know, 
big brother, you know, former NFL legend, 11 year veteran, eight years for the Jets, Super Bowl champion, uh, and and THC marijuana advocate, Mr. Marvin Washington. How you doing, my brother? Hey man, just uh, up here in the northeast, northern New Jersey, trying to stay sheltered in place. Man, the storm came through and hit my neighborhood pretty hard, you know, with trees and power lines down. But, uh, you know, we came out okay, but my neighbors are, some of them still don't have power, just a, a couple blocks away. But uh, outside of that, man, just just trying to stay healthy and, and, and follow the protocol that has been put in place for us. Yeah, I, mean, I, I see that you've been uh, you've been staying active yourself, you know, during this quarantine time. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen Marvin. He's a, you know been out of the league for a long time, but he's in great shape, great <laughs> physical specimen. Uh, and I see that you're keeping yourself in shape still during this quarantine. Yeah, man, I'm just trying to follow your lead. Yeah, don't, don't, don't try to put it all on me, man. I, I watch your workouts, man, and they're inspirational, man. They, they, they really are, man, because you know as well as I do, a lot of guys leave the game and they don't take care of themselves. And the guys that do, you know, they're able to have a quality of life that they can enjoy with their friends and, and, and their family because I've always said that your wealth is in your health, you know? And so that's what I'm going to try to do, man, and, and, and work out. And even when I don't work out, man, I try to, you know, I try to do something every day if I'm not doing a structured workout because my body degrades and I feel better. You know, working out for me is, is, is all for the 10, man. Yeah, it helps my body better. Well, well, Marvin, one of the reasons why I'm able to continue to work out so consistently, and my wife the same way, is I got a nice little package from you, <laughs> and it had some goods in there. Can, can you tell everyone about your business and and what you've been up to post football? Well, po post football, over you know, I went into the financial services when I retired in 2000, but then in 2014, I found out about the uh, cannabis plant and the medicinal benefits of it. Uh, particularly with two, the two main, main cannabinoids in it, uh, THC and CBD. And uh, I'm a big proponent of the, of the whole plant, but CBD is has a lot of medicinal benefits, particularly with athletes. It's an anti-inflammatory. Uh, it's anti-anxiety. It helps you deal, modulate, and deal, deal with pain. Uh, the government has a patent that says it's a neuroprotective for the brain in relationships to concussion. So it, it, it's like having a mini helmet on and it's protecting your, 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 your brain with whether you're in football or UFC or boxing or any contact sport. And then the other thing is cannabis, CBD, THC, whenever it's introduced into a community, the opiate addiction goes down anywhere from 15 to 25 percent. And I know everybody in the NFL talks about CTE, but the, the other wicked thing that that is befallen on. Uh, our alumni, the 20,000 former players, is opiate addiction because former football players are four times as more likely to abuse opiates than general society. And we know what's happening with general society because it's not missing anybody. It's no respecter of who you are, where you live, what you're doing. It, 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 middle America, on the coast, uh, Bible Belt, whatever, it, it's hitting everything, but it's hitting our community. And so I feel like if these players are able to get introdu introduced to this plant because it's not a performing enhancing drug. Uh, World Anti-Doping uh, Anti Association has said that WADA, with, with the way they've done it to govern all the Olympic sports, they let those, their, their, their athletes use it. So I want to eventually see the four majors and all alternative sports get to that point as an alternative to opiates. And 
you know, Eric, you know as well as I do, if you have an acute injury where you're tearing a muscle or breaking a finger or whatever, yeah, there you need some pain blockers and you need pain pills or whatever, but you don't need them for, you know, the whole season. You don't need to get on this opiate regime of anti-inflammatory pain blockers, taking epidural shots from July all the way to January. Now you extrapolate that over your my career and your career. You're talking about 20 years. And then some guys are not able to cut off that spigot. And uh, that's why they have a problem, you know, with addiction of their former players. So I just want to have an alternative. I believe uh, cannabis is medicine. As you guys know, we are talking to ex-NFL player, our guest, Marvin Washington, 11-year vet, played for the New York Jets, San Francisco, and Denver. Marvin, you were you were voted from Sports Illustrated as the 36th best New York Jet of all time. Tell us a little bit about your Jet career as a New York Jet. Uh, my Jet career, I had some uh, great teammates, some good teammates, you know, looking back on it. Uh, we had some very good coaches. Uh, one of them still in the – well, two of them are still in the league. Uh, Ed Donatel, that's a defense coordinator at the Bronco. I love and Ed. And, of course, Pete Curl. Uh, yeah, easy Ed. And, and of course, uh, Pete Curl uh, over at the Seahawks. And we had a young team, but we were never able to get, get over the hump. Uh, we got some injury bugs, but that's part of the game. That's no excuses. But the biggest thing that I, I got from the Jets is – Coming from the Palouse, which Eric knows, <laughs> we went yeah. to school. His school and I is like eight miles apart. But coming from there and coming to New York and living in Long Island, it made me grow up because my family was in Texas. And 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 some of the people that I made in the Jet organization and in administration, uh, they're still friends of mine to this day. And it, 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 I grew up as, as as a man and learning about New York City and and the restaurants and the art and the culture and and all that that New York City has to offer. Uh, I got to learn about that, and I still have connections. I still have restaurants in New York City that I've been going through, going to since 1989, my rookie year. So it was, it was wonderful, you know, uh, living out in Long Island and then having access to the city, living out in Long Island when I was married and I had kids of, of school age and whatever. It was fine, man. I, I, have, I look back to, uh, uh, on, on that time with fond memories, except uh, uh, some of the seasons that we have because, <laughs> you know, it's not measured by how hard you work in the off season because I believe we work very hard and how good your scheme is and how good your individual defense is. The NFL is bottom line. It's ones and losses, and we didn't get it done. And don't confuse effort with results. <laughs> that, that's what one of my coaches used to always tell me. Don't confuse effort with results. But, uh, you know, talking about, you, you know, going back to those coaches, you know, Ed Donatel, you know, a, a funny story about Ed is when I was here with the Jets, uh, in my fourth year, uh, Eric Mangini was the coach. Um, you know, I was the starting safety the first three years, and I had kind of fallen out of favor with him and Ed Donatel had just left Atlanta. He was, um, you know, just volunteering with the jets. Ed Donatel saved my career. You know, I was in, I was in a point where, you know, I wasn't playing on defense, you know, it was very frustrating for me. And Ed was sitting in the back of the, the defensive back room with me and just, and go over techniques. He would drop quizzes for me. I would go out in the scout team and he would give me something to work on every day. You know, he's like, listen, the next team you play for, you're going to have to develop these skills. So I know you're on scout team right now. Let's go work on cornerback. Let's go work on your technique. And Ed really kept my morale up and kept me uh, moving forward and really helped grow my career. I think the world of Ed, because in college at Idaho, 
I met Ed when I was 20 years old, and he was a defensive back coach at Idaho. And his wife, Jerry, was our head cheerleader coach. And then I got drafted, and he stayed at Idaho. And then the next year, when they changed the regime and got Pete Curl as a defensive coordinator, he brought Ed on as a defensive back coach. And, and if people don't know about the cradle of coaches that came from Pacific, because we had about three or four of them. But, you know, you had Bruce Coslett, Pete Curl, Sam Weish, Tom Flores. You had all these coaches come from Pacific University, and they call it the cradle of coaches. And they were spread throughout the NFL, and we just have to have a few. And Ed is one of those coaches. And I love hearing stories about that, but I love good coaches and good people. And Ed is definitely one that falls into that category of hitting both marks as being a good person and a great coach. As you guys know, we are talking to ex-NFL player Marvin Washington, 11-year vet, played for the Jets and the San Francisco 49ers and the Denver Broncos. What is it like winning a Super Bowl? In 1998, you won a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos, John Elway, with that team under a great coach. What was it like actually winning a Super Bowl and getting the opportunity to hoist that uh, Lombardi trophy? Um, I, th- I, I just think, you know, that was my 10th year in the league, and I think the football gods were, were, were blessing me because um, – <laughs> You know, I was a professional football player, and, and I felt like I, I played the game right, and I showed up on time, and I showed up in shape and what have you. And uh, I just felt like the, the, the football gods were giving me, giving me a reward for the previous, you know, eight years that I had spent in New York uh, and, and had some 4-12s and 3-13s and 1-15 and 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 seasons. And uh, it was a wonderful time, and I just felt like it was accumulation of everything that you work for in the offseason – all the hard work you're doing uh, in practice and execution and sacrificing and whatever, it, it, it felt good and even felt better because we beat the Jets in the uh, AFC championship game. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that felt good. But winning the Super Bowl, I, I wish every player w- would get to experience that because ultimately that's what you're playing for is to be the ultimate winner at the end of the season. And uh, I got to experience it. And, and, and it was a wonderful experience. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get more in with Marvin Washington here on the Weekend Crunch. We're bringing it back, Eric. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Eric Coleman. This show is brought to you by the New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Errol, man, I appreciate the, the West Coast music coming in. <laughs> you know, me and Marvin talk about playing in the Palouse, man. That West Coast, that Tupac got us through. <laughs> hey, but, but Marvin, just to get back to Marvin, uh, you know, Super Bowl champ, you know, eight-year NFL, uh, excuse me, New York Jet, 11-year NFL vet. Uh, can you talk about, you know, you talked about your eight years with the Jets and then you going on in your 10th year to go win a Super Bowl with the Broncos. What are you seeing with the current team, with the Jets, with the current regime? Are they making strides to, to go into that direction of, of being a Super Bowl contender? I believe they are. You have to build and start somewhere. And I hope they have the stability in the front office with Joe Douglas. He's, he's respected around the league. They have a cachet of, of picks for, for the next few years that they, they can build upon. I believe that now that Tom Brady is, is, is gone, we may have the best quarterback in the division. The trade that, that happened, it weakened our defense, but it strengthened our future with the picks that we got because I believe we got more in that trade than the Raiders got 
with the Khalil Mack trade. <laughs> so we got a bounty that, that we can build on. We got a foundation. And one of the things that last year showed me is these guys didn't quit down the stretch when they had plenty of opportunities to. They had a very good second half of the season when all was lost. And a lot of teams would have been packing up at that time, but they didn't. And I think they can build on that. And, you know, I know it's going to be a different time, type of football this year. They're going to have to be more disciplined. They're going to have to stay home. But that, that can build team. That can be built team building. I think the arrow is pointing up on them, man. Uh, I don't think they're that far away, particularly now that, you know, we, we got the GOAT out of this division. I think the Jets can be there for, for a long time. And then the reason why I say that is they got the thrower. They, they got a stud quarterback. And if he continues to develop, you know, you can build around that. And for for every team that, that goes to the Super Bowl or won a Super Bowl, they usually have a stud quarterback. And so I think we have one finally, a young kid. We can build upon that. So I think they're doing well. I'm, I'm very respectful of, of, of Joe Douglas. Adam Gates is an offensive guru. So I think we can score some points. Greg Williams with his defense, you know, they play hard. He's going to find a way to get it done with the players that he has. Marvin, offensive guru, Adam Gase, I don't know about that. You'll see once he gets the parts and he, and, and he gets more going, it, he, you'll see that, mm-hmm. that his offensive creativity is going to come at. I'm very respectful of him, of, of some of the things that he's done with the places he's been. And he's respected from, you know, Peyton Manning and some of the players at the Dolphins. You know, they have pretty good years after he got rid of some guys, but they still have some pretty good offensive year. So I think he's going to he's going to step up. And I saw even last year, like I said, they could have laid down, but they didn't. And the offense was scoring points and they were winning games. Well, also, if you look at the New York Jets last year in the second half, they had one of the best records in the league. You saw Sam Darnold's uh, development last year. Uh, you, you definitely see talent on this team. Jamal Adams is a guy that had uh, opened his mouth one too many times, and I think the Jets just got sick and tired of listening to it. And unfortunately, he was a great player for the New York Jets, a three-year player for the Jets. The Jets drafted him, and this is a kid that wants a lot of money. I have argued with Eric on this show plenty of times about Jamal Adams' mouth, and it got him into a little bit of trouble. We saw that with Odell Beckham here in New York. He used the press, and unfortunately, it didn't bold well for him. He didn't go to the Cowboys like he wanted to. He went to Seattle, and the Jets practically fleeced Seattle. If you look at that that trade, look at the two first-round draft picks, the third, and bringing in Bradley McDougal. You got four players, four starters for one player. The Jets are moving in the right path. I just don't know if Adam Gase is the guy. Hopefully he is, but I've been arguing and, and, and absolutely sticking up for Adam Gase. He has never coached a quality team. Go look at the team that he had with Miami. He had a starter for 22 out of the 40-some-odd games he was the head coach, and he had Tannehill. Tannehill, I do not believe, is a starter in the NFL. I've argued this over and over again. He played for the Tennessee Titans last year, and if you look at his numbers throughout the playoffs, he averaged uh, about 80 yards a game. So you, you don't expect to win a Super Bowl with a guy that does that. I do believe that with Adam Gase having Sam Darnold and another year under his belt in the Adam Gase offense, it's only going to help him. Is the jury still out on Adam Gates? It could be. But if you look at him, he's had success in San Francisco. He had success with the Broncos. They won a Super Bowl. He had success with Chicago. As a, as a head coach with the Dolphins, you know, who has had success down there in the last 20 years since Don Chula has uh, retired? So now he's up here. Uh, this is his third year in his program. We should see some noticeable 
progress from him. I'm confident that he can do it, but the main reason why I'm confident because he has a thrower. And uh, I believe he can do a lot of things and build, build around that. And as far as Jamal Adams and that trade, yeah, we did fleece Seattle because he's a safety. It's not a skill position. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that, Eric. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> and uh, I shots I fired. I'm pointing up on that, man. And but if he wanted out and he went through media and he kept going to the media, I don't think uh, Joe Douglas had any other choice. Particularly when Seattle gave him that offer, you had to take. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. He he left the Jets with no other choice. Uh, but l- let's talk about, you know, you being a former defensive lineman and the Jets having, you know, a, a very young and promising quarterback, a, a proven running back. Can we talk about the offensive line and how important it was for Joe Douglas to to bring together a quality offensive line and how much that's going to help the development of that offense? That's the key. You have to have an offensive lineman to protect your quarterback and create some lanes for, for your running back and give your quarterback time to throw. And that's the one thing that maybe could hurt them this preseason because there's no preseason games because the offensive line needs time to gel. You know, they have some talent there, but they they need preseason games. They don't count, but they mean something. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the time for the offensive line to gel. But if that offensive line gels and grows, then, you know, you see what they did with Brady. Brady stayed upright for 19 years and you had, what, eight Super Bowl appearances and six wins. So if we can keep this kid upright and, and, and go with the offensive line that look at Dallas, look at San Francisco and their offensive line. That's the key, man. Because football is a game that no matter what type of offense you play and what level you play, it's one with the men up front, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Marvin, I always talk about that. Like, how many times have you been in a game as a D lineman when they have, a you know, very good skill players with a weak offensive line or maybe like a, you know, a guard or a tackle that you just felt like, oh, I got him today. It's, it makes for a long day for that offense when your offensive line just can't touch the D line and they're in the backfield. It doesn't matter who's back there. It, 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 well, I reverse it. It makes for a long line, a, 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 a long day when you have a very good offensive line. And mm-hmm. I tell people to this day, man, the Cowboys ran two plays. They ran a, a, a dip and they ran a pound draw. So, but they had a great offensive lineman. So you might be committed to stop the run first, second, and third quarter, but <laughs> they're going to keep pounding you. And in the fourth quarter, we'll see if you commit it. And a lot of teams weren't committed. Like heck, Green, Green Bay Packers sweep. Everybody knew it was coming. It kept coming because you have the linemen that you have to have a dedication to be able to stop, stop the run and get after the passer. But if you have a dominant offensive line, it gets hard. You can do it for 30 plays. You can do it for 40 plays. We try doing it for 60 and 70 plays, and they're still coming off. The pad level's there. They're still having their hand placement and, and the same power. The Hogs, the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Broncos team that, that I was on in New England, What's the what's the commonality besides the quarterback is the offensive alignment. It's the key, just like the key for the defense is the defense alignment. You got to be able to stop these guys. Give yourself a chance. We are talking to uh, ex-NFL player Marvin Washington, 11-year vet in the NFL, played for the New York Jets, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Denver Broncos. Before we let you go, Marvin, I see that you were inducted into the Idaho Hall of Fame. What is it like being inducted into a Hall of Fame? That means I'm immortal. <laughs> I'm <gonna live> forever. <laughs> That's what I tell my kids. Now nah, it's something, man, of, of the hard work that I, I, I did in college, man. And it's a reward for that. 
And, you know, I had some success there and it was the last time that I could really play free and, and have not, you know, the stress that professional football brings upon, brings upon you just by being in the business. And I'm very happy to have that award. I still go back to the Palouse. I was just back there. I didn't go back there this summer, but, but last summer. And it's kind of special to see my name and, and my plaque in the locker room and the, the little wall of fame that they have, seeing a couple of my teammates. One of my teammates was Mark Schiller. And uh, I played with him with the Broncos and we won the Super Bowl, but he won three of them, one with the Skins and two with the Broncos. And so it was kind of ironic, guys coming from a small division one double A school and we had the success that we had in the NFL. So that was special and uh go Vandal. Good old Kibby Dome. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Multi-purpose. Football, basketball, soccer. Everything. Anything you need. Errol, Errol, you got you don't understand. Washington State University and the University of Idaho are literally like seven, eight miles away. So we used to go to Moscow, Idaho to go party. We used to go down there to hang out. And, and you know, it, it's such a close proximity it's a special place special place well, great place to go to college it's special when you look at both schools they're very close together so you guys know the area uh, of both areas so i think it's great and marvin thank you for joining us we really appreciate you joining us here on the weekend crunch absolutely moving forward with everything with cannabis in your industry i hope uh with everything with the tyler skaggs thing we were talking about in the beginning of the show hopefully the nfl and and some of these professional leagues try to help some of these players and maybe get them off of drug addiction and stuff like that. So I think CBD could be some kind of way to get some of these players off the drug addiction that they have. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on and, and let me talk about that issue. And I, and I believe it can. And let me condolences to Tyler Skaggs and you guys are bringing that up in the first session. And I'm thinking like, this guy right here is my man, Jimmy Hendricks. He passed the same <laughs> way, right. opiate addiction almost 50 years ago. And this problem is still pervasive in our society, you know, and it doesn't miss athletes, entertainers, doctors, lawyers, what have you. And so if the NFL embraces as, as a big a sports league, then I think the country can, can embrace it. And I think we can make a big dent in something that is eaten at the underbelly of our country. And that's opiate addiction. No, Jimmy Hendrix actually died. Uh, they found him choking on his own vomit too. Yep. The yep. same so, thing that happened like to him. Said, yep. 50 years ago. And it's still around. So, but now I believe that we have something that's natural, non-toxic, non-addictive that can be regulated and given to society instead of these opiates and benzodiazepines that's killing the country. We'll, we'll lose a generation if we stay on this opiate path that we're on right now because it's horrible. Marvin, thank you for joining us, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks, Marvin. Marvin Washington, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know him, ex-NFL player, played for the Jets, played for the San Francisco 49ers, and the Denver Broncos. Great interview, Eric. Absolutely. I I love having Marvin on. I mean, he's so uh, well-versed. He's one of those guys that when I got out of the league, I met Marvin and got to talk to him about transitioning and what you do after football. And he's a great example of, of, of a guy who took every opportunity to spread his wings after football. And he's doing some amazing things for some good people. And uh, check him out on Instagram, mwash52 on Instagram. He's a you know great follow. When we come back, we're going to get into some NHL conversation. And we're going to have a debate hour. Me and Eric, last week we had so much fun debating the whole Harden and uh, Iverson situation. I want to get into some basketball, baseball, hockey, and football debates with Eric Coleman here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, we are back. This is the Weekend Crunch. We are live 
every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Cheryl Marks, my co-host, ex-NFL player Eric Coleman. We are brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And we are on right now the LI News Radio Network. Very excited to be here. We've had great shows. This is our fourth show, if I'm not mistaken. Speedy, is this the fourth show? Fifth. Fifth show. Fifth show. So it's going so fast, Eric. Week in and week out. Uh, I love working with Eric. Eric has uh, his own opinions to sports and so knowledgeable in sports. Believe it or not, not just in football, basketball. He's learning a little bit about hockey and some baseball. I, I, I love working with him. And, guys, you'll have the opportunity to meet us in the near future when Eric comes back up here from Florida. I am very excited for where we're going to be moving forward with this uh, show and with the LI News Radio Network. Absolutely, man. It's, it's a blessing to be over here working with you, talking some sports. Absolutely. Uh, you know, some great guests and some, some great guests coming up in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm excited to get into the NFL season uh, to continue to grow this thing. And, um, and let, let's get it on. You're, you're a talent, man. And not only your workouts, by the way. And when you come up here, I, I might have to uh, show you a thing or two because I do work out like a beast, too. I'm not like you, 300 or 200 burpees in 10 minutes. I don't do that. Um, and I don't do a thousand push-ups a day either. I do about 350, uh, a little sore, uh, but all in all, I, I try to, uh, you know, with my injury with my neck, I try to stay away from, uh, heavy weight. I don't really lift any heavy weight right now. I don't really go to the gym as much anymore because of my injuries, but, um, I still put the time in and try to stay in shape and I watch your workout. You're not even hitting any weights. You're not even doing that. Uh, you're doing everything calisthenics and, and, and all that other stuff, which is amazing. And I, I love your workouts, man, your pre-workouts, Thanks, everything. Bro. You know, it, it's another way uh, to we'll stay competitive and then another way to, you know, help my, help my body heal. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually feel great, you know, not lifting as much weight, um, you know, continuing to stay active. It helps, you know, all my old injuries, all my all my, you know, the nicks and all the things that I had from playing football. Uh, if I stay in shape, I found that they don't ail me as much. By the way, thank you for Marvin Washington for joining us. He was a great interview, gave us some intake and insight on uh, CBD, and we were just talking about Tyler Skagg, so it really helped us understand uh, where uh, the leagues are moving towards uh, trying to help the players with drug addiction. Um, I want to get into some NHL conversation, and the New York Rangers were eliminated, were swept. They were the only team swept in the NHL qualifiers. Speedy, I know you're a Ranger fan. And a lot of people don't – a lot of these New York shows do not talk about enough about hockey. And we're here in Long Island. Hockey is very, very big here in Long Island. And there are a lot of Ranger fans over here. So what were your thoughts to the Rangers getting knocked out in the qualifiers? I wasn't surprised because the Hurricanes are a very deep team, both offensively and defensively, but especially defensively. You saw how well they played even without Dougie Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton never came back in that series. It was just all the defense playing very well. Brady Shea having familiarity with the Rangers, knowing how they play. He played very well for them, too. And the Rangers' stars, really, that were that they're known for, didn't really step up as much as they should have. Zibanejad, I think, played well. And I think guys like Adam Fox did play well at times. But again, they just didn't get enough consistency from everybody. We knew their defense wasn't very deep to begin with, so it was going to be very hard. And the Hurricanes started fast in pretty much every game in that series. So that ended up making a difference. I think there were some guys that played well for the Rangers. It just wasn't enough of a team effort. And for a team that has a lot of offensive depth, the defensive depth for Carolina was really 
just too much. And I think the prowess of the Rangers offense really got shut down by that as a result. And the Rangers can't win like that because they're, they're, they're right now built because of their young offense to win a high scoring games, which against a defense that good in Carolina obviously didn't match up. Well, I will say this. You probably will not see Henrik Lundqvist ever again in a New York Ranger uniform. I, I think that was the last time you will see Henrik Lundqvist. He has one more year left on his contract. Some stories coming out after the game that he might retire in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I do not believe he will play for another team or another organization. I think he, he's been in New York his whole career, and I believe moving forward, he wants his children and his family to live in New York. So unless he's going to the Islanders or the Devils, and both teams have goaltenders, I don't see him going anywhere close to the Tri-State. So I do believe you will see Henrik Lundqvist retiring in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think if he wanted to go to another team too, I think he would have been traded, I think, a couple years ago when everyone was thinking that he was going to get traded. I think it was that 2018 trade deadline after they sent all the letters to the fans that year and I think he would have been traded then if he really was aspiring to just get that cup that's eluded him for his entire career and I think he would have been traded then if that was the case when the value was still strong when he was still a top goaltender at that time whereas now obviously he's been switching off with Alexander Georgiev and now with Shesterkin as well. The Rangers are a fantastic young team that needs defense. They need defense. They need to build around defense. They have an opportunity on Monday to get the number one pick. We will see if they have the opportunity to get the number one pick. I do not believe they're going to get it, but who knows? With the NHL and what we've seen over the last couple of years with the NBA, we don't know how they rig these drafts. And I believe the drafts are rigged, especially with these lottery drafts. I told you off air right before the show, I feel like if they're going to rig it for anyone this year, I feel like it's going to be for a team like the Predators. The Predators. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the hockey culture there, the way it's grown, I think they're overdue for something like that. I, I hate it because I'm watching the NBA and I know Golden State's going to get the number one pick. And it makes me sick to my stomach when you see Klay Thompson come back, you have Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry, and all the different players that they have on the team, and then they're going to get the number one pick where they can get the kid Wiseman, where they need a wing defender, a wing player that can score in all different parts of the game. It scares me when you look at the NBA and the NHL where you have a lottery, and you got to pull out these balls to decide on who's going to get the number one, number two, number three, and all the way to the number 14th pick. The Islanders. And Eric, I'm going to make you an Islander fan. I know you're not a big hockey fan, but you're going to be living here on Long Island. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's who I root for. I, I really? root for the Islanders. My brother-in-law, my nephew, uh, they, they're both huge <laughs> Islanders fans. I remember when John Tavares left, I got my nephew an autograph before he left. And when he left, he was just devastated <laughs> and um just to go back on on the, the rangers being swept and things kind of not looking you know positive for the for the rangers this is a time where the new york fans need to appreciate the greatness I, I think that we get so comfortable with always having a team in the hunt you know whether it be football basketball baseball it seems like new york will always have a dog in the race and to to, to be eliminated right now uh to be on the rebuilding side of things i think this is the time to appreciate it you appreciate when they start to win more and by the way the islanders got through the qualifiers the funny thing when you look at the new york islanders is they have a great coach and barry trotz and when they brought barry trotz from the washington capitals everybody knew they were bringing in a top three top two head coach in the nhl a guy that knows how to build young players we saw alexander ovechkin he really needed to develop his skill when barry Barry Trotz came to the team. He helped him develop his defensive game. Now you're looking at guys like Matthew Barzell and, and Devin Towes and Anthony Beauvillier. All these different guys that we see with the Islanders. Some of these young talented prospects that are now growing as players with the New York Islanders. And they 
didn't sweep the Florida Panthers, but they completely outplayed the Florida Panthers throughout that series. Won the series three games to one, and moving on to the round robin. I am not surprised that the Islanders beat the Florida Panthers. I picked the Islanders. You picked the Florida Panthers. I did pick Florida, but I also think though too that the Islanders. I think I think they're going to win the next series they play in because they're projected either to play the Capitals, who obviously Trotz knows very well. So I think they'll definitely win that. And the Bruins, I think they could beat too. Two very very hard teams. One team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals, which I had the opportunity to watch them lose against the St. Louis Blues, and I was on the ice when the St. Louis Blues hoisted the cup, and I always believed when I was a young kid, because I was a big-time hockey player, that I was going to have my name imprinted on the Stanley Cup, and it's not only a privilege to be printed on one of the biggest and the best trophies in professional sports, but having the opportunity to hoist it. It's a great achievement, and you saw the St. Louis Blues do it for the first time in their team's existence, you know, so... Uh, Looking at the New York Islanders, I would hope that the Islanders are going to be a Stanley Cup contending team this year. But again, I hope not because we're not going to have a parade. And if the Islanders win the Stanley Cup this year, we're not going to be able to celebrate it because of this whole COVID-19 thing. But Speedy, when you look at the qualifiers, uh, were you surprised that the Canadians knocked off the Penguins? Yeah, that was the biggest shock of all to me because Montreal, I think, talent-wise, is one of the worst teams in the league. Even in comparison to some of the teams that missed the postseason, teams like the Sharks, teams like the Sabres, I I think have more talent than Montreal. Also, Montreal playing the way they did. Claude Julien deserves a lot of credit for that. His defensive system, his physicality really worked against a, a smaller Penguins team. And you really saw offensive young players step up for Montreal, too. Getting Even if they didn't score a lot, they got shots on goal. They were getting possession of the puck, which now in an analytic-driven NHL is very important. And against a team like the Penguins, if you could play keep away a lot of the time, which Montreal did with those young forwards for the most part, they were impressive. And that kind of upset really has that kind of NCAA tournament feel to it. Watch out for the Chicago Blackhawks, Eric. This is a team that has won Stanley Cups over the years. They have great players, uh, two of the best players in the NHL, Tows being one of them, uh, their captain. You saw what this team can do against a very talented Edmonton Oilers team. Arizona, I was very surprised Arizona made it through the qualifiers knocking off the Predators. I picked the Predators to possibly go to the Stanley Cup or Western Conference Finals. I was very impressed with some of the young talent that we saw. The Vancouver Canucks knocking off the Minnesota Wild. You got that one right. Yes, I did. And I'll tell you this right now. Minnesota is going to be a rebuilding team now. Zach Parisi, they were trying to trade to the Islanders at the trade deadline last year. They couldn't make the move. There are a lot of players right now. There's a lot of old players on this team that have to rebuild this team. And I could see the GM getting fired. Well, they've done a good job at trading some of their veteran assets already in recent years. They traded Charlie Coyle last year to the Bruins, who was big for them in that Stanley Cup run. And they got some good young players back for them. They traded Mikhail Granlin to Nashville. And they got a nice player in Kevin Fiala, who played very well in that series. So they already have started that process. But you're right, they got to get out out of these bad contracts. I can't see them firing the GM now, but it definitely could have happened a while ago. Calgary knocking off Winnipeg. I picked Winnipeg to win that series, but unfortunately, because of two of their top players, Lining being injured in that series and some of their players being injured in that series Shifley early, too, yeah. yep, uh, it definitely affected their offensive game, and, and you saw that against the Calgary Flames. And Toronto tied the series 2-2. Two to two. I want to see Toronto get knocked out. Eric, you mentioned John Tavares. I can't stand John Tavares. What he did fleeced the Islanders from getting picks for him. He told the Islanders he wanted to stay with the Islanders and the organization and then all of a sudden completely jumped ship after the season and became a free agent and went to Toronto, and the Islanders got nothing for him. I want to see Toronto get knocked out in the first round like they did last year. I don't think this team is a talented team. They have no defense. Their goaltending is skeptical at best, and they have a great offensive team in Matthews and Tavares and Marner, but uh, again, this team 
is offensive heavy. Were you upset that John Tavares got oh, yeah, traded? I, I was I'm upset traded, myself. Uh, I, as I told you, I had bought Christmas gifts for my, my nephew uh, with John Tavares. He had the jersey that was his favorite player, and that was the player that I knew about the Islanders. And for things to go down the way they did where, you know, he told the Islanders he wants to stay there. The team doesn't trade him, doesn't get any value for him, and then he just ups and leaves. That was a low blow. That was classless, and it was something that could have been avoided. I'm not a guy who likes to burn bridges, and you burn a bridge in New York. Come on, where, where are you going from there? You know, it's, it's the greatest city in the in the world. Absolutely. And, and you burn a bridge there. I, I don't understand how you do that. I think Jamal, he was so dedicated to the Jets, mm. uh, and it was a personal problem more than it was a team problem. I think he'll be able to get over it and, and kind of rebound his reputation with the Jets fans. But Tavares, the way he did the team, that was cold-blooded. Jamal Adams will be booed for the rest of his career, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> with the New York Jet fan. I think the Jet fan will be very... Very excited if Joe Douglas lands on these picks. If they get great players with these picks and they get production from McDougald and they, they go on to have success, I, I don't think that the fans, the Jets fans, hold it against Jamal. Remember, I think if Jamal goes and wins the Super Bowl, yeah. he'll be the great player he is, then it's going to be trouble. He's not winning no Super Bowl with that team. I've team. seen worse teams win Super Bowl. Oh, I know you have, and you've been on the field with some bad teams. So <laughs> that's not taking shots at you, but you know what it is. When you're bad, you're bad. When it comes hey, to football. You know, it's a fine line between those good teams and the, and the bad ones. Absolutely. So. But I will say this. When you look at the big picture, Marcus May, if he can Ball stay up. healthy, will be a better player than Jamal Adams. I've said this over and over again. I believe that when they drafted him in the second round uh, with Mike McCagnan. I think Mike McCagnan made the right choice bringing in another safety in the second round. And he's going to get a lot of money. He's not going to get Jamal Adams' money because Jamal Adams is demanding it. But I think Marcus May is going to make himself a lot of money. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to debate some interesting topics here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. We are live. Yes, live at the LI News Radio Network every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, ex-NFL player Eric Coleman. We are brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Guys, download our app. Go to your iOS store, your Apple store, WWSRN, or go to your Android store, your Play store, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All our shows, including the Weekend Crunch, the replay of the Weekend Crunch, after it is live every single Saturday, we post it up as a podcast where you can absolutely, if you missed it, listen to the show on our app. We give you guys all these different things where you guys can, now it's right at your fingertips. You don't have to look for it anymore. It is on your phone. It's on your tablet. You don't have to go to a website anymore. It's an app. So definitely stay tuned and follow us on our social medias as well. Well, we I wanted to get into this debate section because we had a great debate on Harden and Iverson last week. So we're going to do this every single week on our segment five. Uh, and we're going to call this Debate Hour with me and Eric Coleman. Are you ready, Eric? Stay ready so I don't have to get ready. <laughs> you ready, Speedy? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Who is the better point guard right now? Steph Curry or Damian Lillard? Dame Dalla is, is definitely the better point guard right now. 
I mean, the, the things that he does offensively, you know, not only can he break down your defense by penetration, he can hit the open three, he can create shots for himself, and, you know, Steph Curry's injured, so that, that's an easy one. Well, I'm not going to argue with you <laughs> on this one. I do believe it's Dame Dollar. I think uh, Damian Lillard is one of the best players in the league. I think he's very underrated. His style of game, he can do everything. He can penetrate. He can get to the hole. He can shoot threes, and he takes over games. This is a guy mm-hmm. that can lead a team to a championship. We'll see with uh, a guy like Carmelo Anthony and McCollum, if they can lead this team, this young, talented, very questionable team uh, into the playoffs. But I do believe they have enough weapons that they can do that. They have to play defense, something that Carmelo Anthony has not done over the years. But it's definitely Damian Lillard. Even if it was two or three years ago, I would take Damian Lillard over Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a three-point shooter and a penetrator. That's all he is. And you've seen what he's done in the playoffs. He's done absolutely nothing. He's not even the leading guy on that team. We've seen Klay Thompson take over. We've seen Kevin Durant take over. We've we've never seen him really, really take over in the playoffs. And that's why... I I, I would have to argue that one Mm -hmm. because... I think that Steph is capable of taking over a game. I mean, the, the way that he creates the separation for his three-point shots. And uh, the one thing that he's lacking is, is the defense. You know, he, he's a thinner guy. You know, doesn't defend as well as, I, I think, Dame Dillard. Uh, and Dame just – listen, I, I, I do think this is a, a tough argument when both of them are healthy and at their prime because of, you know, Steph can just create so many points by shooting those threes and making threes. But – Dame has that killer instinct. He has that that toughness, that mentality, that you know that 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 grimy mentality where he's going to get it done when it counts. So you know, I, I'm a big fan of Dame myself. You know, he's a Bay Area guy. You know, tough as nails, and, and I love to see him win. Who was a better corner on safety, Woodson or Darrell Revis? I oh, mean, that's that's a tough question. You know, and, and that takes us back to. The, the era thing, you know, it was two different eras, you know, when, when, uh, wait, are you talking about Rod Woodson or Charles Woodson? That's, that's the question. Rod Woodson. Rod Woodson. See, so Rod Woodson, I, I mean, he was like the king of the bump and run. He was so physical. Um, but that was when the game, you could, you could be more physical with receivers. So, so Rod was tough as nails. I mean, anytime you can transition from cornerback to safety, you know, it, it's a big transition and he was an all pro at both positions. You know, and, and, you know, you, you talk about uh, Revis. Revis is, I mean, I played with a lot of great quarterbacks, uh, cornerbacks. I played with Ty Law, Terrell Buckley. Uh, you know, I, I played with, with uh, Marcus Trufant. You know, a, a ton of great corners. And I've never seen anyone be as patient and be technically as sound as Darrell Revis. I mean, he, he's a special player. Uh, he was a special player at the line of scrimmage. He controlled. Uh, he had great technique. He had great instincts. He had awesome top end speed, although it didn't look like he was, you know, hitting that hitting that fifth gear. He was always stride for stride with receivers. So tough competitor. Uh, if I had to go with who was the best, I would give it to Rod Woodson just because he was an all pro at both positions. Oh, I'm taking Darrell Rivas, not because I'm a Jet fan. What I saw him, first of all, they named an island after him. This is one of the best, one of the most talented corners we've seen in the league. Uh, nobody threw through his side. Nobody. If you look at Calvin Johnson, what Calvin Johnson did against a guy like Darrell Rivas, he did absolutely nothing. Uh, there are so many good wide receivers go through on that side of Darrell Rivas and completely got shut down by Rivas Island. He is no doubt the better player. Now, Rob Woodson was a great player, and you're right. He played, he was a Hall of Famer, and, and so is Darrell Rivas. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Rob Woodson was a multiple uh, 
pro ball player at two positions. No question that he was. I think Darrell could have been a great safety in the league at the prime of his career. But he was a shutdown corner. How many shutdown corners were there in the league? I'm talking about top-end shutdown corners. Three, four guys in NFL history. Darrell Rivas is one of those guys. I, I think it was absolutely Darrell Rivas. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not going to argue that. You know, obviously I benefited from the greatness of Darrell Rivas, and he's a, he's a good friend of mine, um, you know, a player. When he was a rookie, you know, when playing in the middle of the field, I could forget about his side because he was going to have to, he was going to have it locked down. And, you know, I've, I've, like I said, he's the best corner I've ever played with, you know, and, and that's why I have such a tough time with comparing guys in different eras, mm-hmm. right? Because Rod Woodson played in an era where the game was different. You know, Darrell Rivas is a, is a played in the era where, uh, I mean, you can't touch receivers. He's still running routes for guys. He's shutting down, you know, number one receivers, you know, all pro receivers in a passing, uh, in a pass happy league. You know, so Darrell did some things that are amazing that, you know, you know, that, that people envy. You know, he, he's a special player, special talent. I'm blessed to have played with him. And you're not going to get a real big argument, uh, you know, from me. The only reason, like I said, if I had to choose one, um, you know, obviously I'm going to go with Darrell. You know, I, I'll go with Darrell if I, if I needed to lock down a receiver. But, you know, looking at the eras, I mean, I've never seen a player go all pro in two different positions. So that was something special that Rod Woodson brought to the game. Better pass rusher of the 21st century, Julius Peppers or Demarcus Ware? Hmm. Oh, I'm going I'm, – man, I'm going with Pep. You know, I, I mean, for pass rusher – for, you know, d- defensive linemen for all around, you know, I love Ju- Julius Peppers. I I've, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen Julius Peppers in real life. He is one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he's about six, seven, uh, you know, just a, a free, you know, uh, long arms, great athlete. He has the power to stop the run. He can, he can bull rush the tackles. He can run around the tackles. He can, you know, spin move. He can really do it all. And, you know, playing against him for so many years, you know, in the in the NFC South, playing against him when I played with the Jets, going down there uh, to to watch him play in the pass rush, it was something special. Oh, now, Demarcus Ware, it's Demarcus Ware, is, is special in his own right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he no one can turn a corner like Demarcus Ware. He, no one can get low. You know, going around reducing his shoulder and and giving an offensive tackle fits like Demarcus in his prime. But if I had to choose one, I would go with Julius Peppers. Bill Parcells, ladies and gentlemen, he knows how to find his pass rushers. Uh, we, we all know about Lawrence Taylor, Demarcus Ware, John Abraham, all guys that guess who drafted. Yes, Bill Parcells. Demarcus Ware is the better player. Now, I like Julius Peppers. I think he's a great player, great talent. We've seen what he's done. He's a Hall of Fame player. Demarcus Ware is a Hall of Famer, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Now, Julius Pepper is is absolutely a Hall of Famer, too. I don't know if he's a first ballot. Being a first ballot Hall of Famer, you have to be the best at your position of all time. Demarcus Ware, how many players had 138 sacks? How many players in NFL history had maybe four or five guys? Julius Peppers, yes. Did he have 159.5? I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. (laughs) You just uh, sold me on that. But I still think DeMarcus Ware was, especially what he did going to multiple teams. He played for the Cowboys, and then he went to the Broncos and won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. And he was a big part of their Super Bowl championship at the end of his career. Remember, this guy was in his mid-30s when he went to the Broncos and completely dominated the line of scrimmage. And like you said, can get low, could do everything. And he was very soft-spoken. You never heard him speak about any of the players. He was a born leader. Julius, uh, Julius Peppers over the years has spoken out, has done things that kind of threw me, threw me off 
uh, about some of the things that he said, especially when well, he went what, to what the Green does Bay that Packers. Have to do with his pass rushing. No, I understand, but. I understand it has nothing to do with his pass so rushing. You're getting the emotions I am getting emotions. Pass I'm getting emotional because <laughs> I think Demarcus Ware is a better player. Now I'm not a Cowboys fan and I can't stand the Cowboys, but because of one person that I know throughout here a lot of Cowboy fans in Long Island, but one particular person, aka the Beef, who speaks about the Cowboys over and over again. But Demarcus Ware, to me, is the better player. Both guys are Hall of Famers. Both of them are going to Hall of Famers. I mean, listen, just one more thing about Julius Peppers. I mean, I didn't know he had 158 uh, sacks. 160 sacks, um, you know, 79 pass deflection, 51 forced fumbles. Come on now. (laughs) now. (laughs) Um, He's he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. All right, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You got me on that one. Who was a bigger big man in his career in the NBA? Was it Tim Duncan? Or Kevin Garnett? I'm going with big fundamentals. I'm going with Tim Duncan. I I think he, you know, you could argue that he's the greatest power forward to play the game. You know, Tim Duncan is quiet. He did it all. He can go on the block. He can take you out in the perimeter. Uh, You know, he was was a a great defender, a great rebounder, shot blocker. Uh, Kevin Garnett, listen, Kevin Garnett was a beast. He was a dog. And he really changed the game. You know, a big man who can handle the ball that way. You know, he played with an edge. Uh, you know, super athletic. Uh, I love Kevin Garnett, but what Tim Duncan brought to the table, uh, I, I don't think we've ever seen. Leadership. That's what I'm going to say. Tim Duncan was a leader, and I take the leader, the guy, when you talk about a superstar, and both of them were superstars. Both of them are Hall of Famers. They're both great, great, fantastic players. But Tim Duncan won five titles. He didn't win one. And Tim Duncan didn't leave and go to another team to win a title. Tim Duncan did it where they built the team around him in San Antonio. Now he's, a, he's an assistant coach, could be the head coach, future head coach for the San Antonio Spurs. He is a born leader, a born champion. And what he did, the transition of the game, especially against the Lakers, the dominant Laker teams from Shaquille O'Neal and um, Bryant years, uh, where, where they were so dominant in the Western Conference, uh, the San Antonio Spurs were the only team that really challenged them in the Western Conference. So it's no other than Tim Duncan in that argument. But Kevin Garnett was a great player. I love Kevin Garnett. I love his attitude. I love his swag. I love everything about him. I even love his podcast. He's very, very funny. Um, I love when he took a shot at Carmelo Anthony uh, during the game and his wife, even though I, I think it's crazy that what he said, but... I, I, he, he doesn't back down from anybody. I don't like a player, an NBA, an NHL, or an NFL player that backs down from the press or backs down from any other player. Kevin Garnett was one of those players. He didn't back down from anybody. And that's why I think Kevin Garnett is one of the greatest power forwards of all time. He's just not Tim Duncan. Well, that's debate hour. We didn't really argue any points, but I'm sure there will be heated uh, points in the very near future where we're going to be arguing just one topic moving forward on debate hour. And I'm sure, and I'm sure that I won. No, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Julius Peppers one, you definitely won. You got me on that one, but all the other ones, I don't know about that. I took Darrell Revis. So uh, I'm going to tell Darrell when we get him on the show, I'm going to tell him you took Rod Woodson. I'm going to tell him that. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. We're going to keep that between us. (laughs) I would love to see what he says from that. (laughs) When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we do this every single week. A cup of coal with Eric Coleman here on the Weekend Crunch. A little Luther Vandross. I know you love this one. Yeah. Big Luther. (laughs) As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday 
from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, ex-NFL player Eric Coleman. We are brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, as you guys know, we do this every single week. We call this segment A Cup of Coal. A Cup of Coal. Okay, so this week's cup of call. Uh, this this one is is one that I I can argue both sides. Uh, so you know, all time NFL great, Major League Baseball great. Uh, Deion Sanders tweeted out that uh, quote: "All players opting out in sports, please believe the game will go on without you. This is a business, and don't you ever forget that. There's no one bigger than the game itself. Only refs, umps, and officials are important enough where you can't play without them. Not you." Hashtag truth. Now, uh, you know, this this is a very sensitive uh, topic. And I saw my good friend Damian Woody uh, was frustrated, you know, by this tweet. And, you know, Damian is frustrated because he has a a family member that is immune compromised. And, uh, you know, and for he's been a big advocate for people opting out of the NFL season. And so, you know, while you can't argue with that, if you have a health issue at home, if you have some family members who are immune compromised, yes, you have to make the smart decision, the tough decision in opting out of the season. But at the same token, I have to, in a, in a way, agree with my man primetime because this game will go on without you. And, you know, you, you can talk about the players opting out and they don't get, um, you know, they're not getting, penalized you know for 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 not playing this year but at the same time you not being on the field is giving someone else an opportunity is giving your organ organization an opportunity to evaluate someone else at your position that they're paying you to play and so uh you know when when you do opt out as cold as as cold as it sounds you know and as controversial as this is if you not being on the field you're giving someone else an opportunity to take your spot and I knew that from coming in the league, you know, my, my first year in the NFL, the second, my second practice of training camp as a, you know, 143rd pick of the draft, the starting safety injured a calf muscle, gave me an opportunity to get into the starting lineup. And I never relinquished that spot. Now you flip the coin towards the end of my career, you know, tore, uh, the sprain MCL gave another player when I was in Atlanta, an opportunity to come in and play. And that was the end of my career in Atlanta because he did such a great job and he took over and became a great player. So the same way I came into the league is the way that I exited the league, you know, by being, by being replaced by a younger player. And so, you know, while you can say that you're not penalizing guys for not being in there, you know, when you look at the jet situation with, with CJ Mosley, yes, they paid him a ton of money and he may be one of those guys that's protected because of the guaranteed money that he, that he has to get. But if you don't think that the Jets are evaluating all their other inside linebackers, if you don't think that they'll be evaluating guys who are, who are now given that opportunity and they're going to find a cheaper option or a younger solution, then, then you're crazy to not think that you can't be replaced. So no. that's my cup of coal. You know, the, the tweet by Dion, I think it was a great point. It was a, it was a tough point, mm-hmm. but it was a very value, uh, valid one. I, I will agree with you on some specs of what you said, but – I disagree because I look at the NFL and COVID-19, not only is it transitioning all these leagues, if there's going to be a season, if there's not going to be a season, there were 66 players that opted out. A lot of them were offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And offensive line, we we spoke about that with uh, 
uh, Marvin Washington, and he say, stated that the offensive line is as important as the quarterback is, which I won't argue that. But when you see these families, there, there are families that you, you have five people in your family, you have five kids, or you, you have a wife or who ha- might have sicknesses, sicknesses or diabetes or something like that. You're going to put your family at, at risk. And again, my argument is that the league is going to move on. Absolutely is because you look at the the growth of the league and some of these young players, and you're going to see a draft no matter what happens if there's an NCAA season for college football or if there's not. These players are going to absolutely go into the NFL draft next year, and there's going to be an NFL draft, and there are going to be new players, new linebackers, new defensive linemen, new offensive linemen. But they're, they're worried about their families. There are a couple of college players that are not going to play. They're opted out of the option of playing this year in the NCAA if there is a season. And they pushed it off to January, February if there's going to be a season. So, again, Eric, I don't think you're wrong about what you said. I, I just think that Deion Sanders... Uh, is wrong. I think he's wrong to take a shot because to me, it's taking a shot at some of these players that opted out for the best of their families. He's not, he, he, he didn't do it to, you know, he didn't do it to say, you know, I'm, I'm moving forward. I, I'm going to say people are going to move forward because of uh, uh, the league and, and the way the league is moving and, and, and the way they think that it's going to move. But I, I do believe that when you look at the big picture, the NFL, and the way the NFL is going, it's not only going to be this year. It's going to be next year. Even if they find a vaccine, players are going to opt out. It's just it's the way of the future, and it's the way of the future. Guaranteed money gives them the opportunity to opt out of this contract or opt out of the season as well. And C.J. Mosley is going to still make his money even not playing the season. And you're right. The Jets might find a cheaper option. No question that they might. But... He's doing it for the best of his family. So Damian Woody has every right to be angry at somebody like Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders should keep his remarks to himself. Unfortunately, Deion Sanders is is one of these guys that doesn't hide away of the press. We have seen what he did with the NFL draft. He was on the NFL draft, and he was on Zoom, and he had his own remarks and his own thoughts to everything that's going on in the NFL and the league and Roger Goodell. So, And he won't speak anything bad about Roger Goodell because guess who pays his money? Guess who pays him big-time money as an analyst? Roger Goodell in the NFL. So he's not going to take shots at Roger Goodell, even though Roger Goodell has everything to be blamed about the whole CTE situation. And Roger Goodell has everything to be blamed about what we've seen in the last couple of years with the NFL, with the rule changes that make absolutely no sense. So, uh, Well, Errol, I, I, listen, is he, is he insensitive? Yes. But is he wrong? No. You know, I, I don't think Dion is wrong. I think he is telling the absolute truth. And I think that's where the value of a former player like Dion, like myself, that's where, that's where our value comes in. You know, we keep it real. We'll, we will let you know about what goes on in these locker rooms, what goes on, you know, in these staff meetings, how the league actually works. Because, you know, while it is insensitive, and, and yes, there's a there's a tremendous, there's a great excuse for players to opt out. And I think it's wonderful that the league provided that. Dion is is putting all the players on alert that if you think everything is sweet because you locked because you opted out and when you come back it's just going to be right you're going to slide right back into your old spot right. you are wrong I uh, I'll go back you know I was in Atlanta I was a starting safety I was established I had you know two great years I sprained my MCL I missed three weeks my coach pulled me into the locker room and said to, you know the rule is injury does not allow you to get replaced but when you come back you are replaced. 
you are we are going to stick with this safety you're going to play more of a backup role you're going to be on special teams and when you give guys that opportunity to to go in there and play to get comfortable to to establish leadership to show the organization that you know maybe you're a free agent player and you never would have got a chance to play it's next man up right and so this young player, this guy's a free agent. He's making the league minimum. He's young. He's promising. He had a great year last year. Why are we going to pay this guy $5 million to come in here to do the same thing this young guy's doing for the minimum? So, you know, it, it's an economic game. Mm-hmm. And, and if you, the more opportunities you give somebody else, the, the more opportunities you have to lose your job. You know, I've been in games where, you know, I, when I played with the Jets, I broke my thumb in a, in a game. I remember that. I, I broke my thumb. Mm-hmm. I, I Listen, I didn't miss one snap. When the offense was out, I ran into the locker room. They put a cast on it, gave me a pill. I came back in the game. That next day, it was Monday. I had surgery. I put pins in my thumb. The, ne- the following day was Tuesday. We had a day off. Wednesday, I was out there with a club in my hand practicing because I didn't want to give the guy behind me an opportunity to play. And now when you go and opt out and, and, and you and – you, you know, listen, it's for a great cause. I'm not arguing why guys opt out because you know, life is more important than sports. But when it comes to your job, you're giving someone a chance to take yours. And, and I think that's where Dion hit it on the head. I, I agree with you on that. But C.J. Mosley, I don't know if the Jets have a player as good as C.J. Mosley on their bench. Uh, C.J. Mosley is a pro Bowl player. He's only 27 yeah, yeah, yeah. years old. That's why I say he's exempt, yeah, especially because I got of you. all the money that he's guaranteed right. and the situation that he's in. Yes, I, I think that C.J. will be a part of this organization moving forward. But there are 50 other guys who are not in the same position as C.J. who don't have that luxury the way he does. Eight, eight of them are Patriots. And, and you know Bill Belichick. He always finds the next man up. And if any of these players figure – figure themselves out this year as rookie players or second-year players, I think a lot of those veteran players will be on their way out. Bill Belichick is known to do that. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into my segment, Mark It Up, here on the Weekend Crunch. Speedy's got it right today, man. Some of the music he's spinning, man. Here we go. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, ex-NFL player, Eric Coleman. As you know, we're brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. As you guys know, we heard the cup of call. Now, we call this segment, Mark It Up. This is... Is mark it up. Why do players demand contracts? And they're under their rookie contracts, not only in the NBA. In the NBA, it's very interesting when you, you have to play four years in your rookie contract before you're eligible to be a free agent. And you're an unrestricted free agent. And then you, you have to wait a couple more years to be a restricted free agent. The problem with professional sports is the fact that some of these players, now that there are, there are uh, free agencies, and, and I remember in the 60s and the 50s, there was no free agency. If you were brought to a team or you were signed by 
by a team, that was your team that you were on for the rest of your career. With the Yankees in the 1950s and the 1960s, there was no free agency market. There was no unrestricted free agency or restricted free agency. Or in the middle of your contract, you know what? I'm going to opt out of my contract and I'm going to go to another team because I want to win a championship with the team that I rooted for when I was a kid. And looking at Jamal Adams and, and some of these players, not only with Jamal Adams, that even in the NBA with LeBron James. LeBron James decided to leave Cleveland after his contract was up to go and win championships with, my, with Miami, the Miami Heat, with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh because those are his best friends. And he wanted to win championships because he didn't think that he can win championships with the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was never about money. But now you're seeing players over the years, and I know Eric is going to have his own thoughts and arguments to this, that they demand more money. They want more money. And even under their own rookie contracts, a.k.a. Jamal Adams, three years into the contract when they have a five-year contract, a rookie contract with those teams, he is demanding more money because obviously with the NFL, the longevity is not clear. You don't know if you're going to break a knee, you're not going to tear an ACL, tear an Achilles, and your career is over. When you look at professional sports like Roger Goodell with the NFL or Rob Manfred, Gary Bettman with the NHL, Adam Silver with the, the NBA, I look at the big picture right now as a whole. They have to figure out a way to track these free agents, move these free agents in the right direction. I think that's a huge problem right now in all of professional sports because they're demanding where they want to go. They're demanding they want more money. Muhammad Wilkerson being one of them. He was under his contract, his rookie contract with the New York Jets, and he wanted a big-time contract because he saw all those defensive linemen getting the contracts that he they were getting, and Muhammad Wilkerson was one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL when he was playing for the Jets. Well, he became a free agent, and the Jets had to give him that contract, the $85 million contract, and they gave him almost $40 million guaranteed. The problem with that was giving people uh, guaranteed money really affects the, the way they play. And you saw that in the NFL. Now, yes, uh, we, we know what happened to Muhammad Wilkerson. He broke his leg, and he was never the same player. But he demanded that contract. He wanted that contract. The Jets obliged him and gave him that contract. He was never the same player. Then he went to Green Bay, and now he's not even in the NFL anymore. The problem right now in professional sports is these players are making a tremendous amount of money. Do they deserve it? They're the best in the world at what they do. No question they deserve a significant amount of money. But they're demanding those contracts. They're demanding that kind of money. And to me, it throws me off. I'm not a professional athlete. Eric, you were a professional athlete. So I understand what you're going to say, and you're going to stick up for the athlete. I, as a fan, a person that will go into the stadium if I'm not working the press, I got to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to watch the game. I have to go, and, and, and if, if I want it, the NFL Network or I want the NFL package to watch all the games, I'm going to spend a ton, a ton of money to watch all the games in the NFL to keep, uh, keep uh, intact of what's going on in the NFL. The problem is, where, are the, where is the money going? Not only is it going to the league, it's going to the players. It's going to the owners. And I think that a lot of these players are demanding too much, not only from the league. And I, again, I think the owners should open up their pockets to pay the players. But again, I look at the league as a whole. They have to figure something out with these contracts, demanding uh, that you can opt out of your contract after a certain amount of time or you can let go of a player after a certain amount of time. If you sign them for five years, they have to play for five years. And I, and I do believe that NFL players should get guaranteed money. 
There shouldn't be, you know what, I'm going to give you $40 million guarantee, even though I'm going to sign you to an $86, $87 million contract. You're not going to get $86, $87 million because I'm going to, I'm going to opt out of that contract after three or four years when you're not worth anything. That I agree with the players. I think the players should have guaranteed money. The NBA does it, even though some of these NBA players don't deserve the money. There's a guy on the bench, the 10th man or the, the 11th man on the bench, that's making $7, 8000000 million a year, and they don't even see the field. They don't see the court. The MLB, how many players do we see on the bench? They're the, the lowest paid player on the bench right now in the MLB, if they're not under contract, is making $500,000. And they don't even see the field. They don't even step on the field. I think that when you look at professional sports, if you call these guys up, you have to give them a contract. If they have a contract, they have to live out the contract. That is the problem right now in professional sports. One league does one thing. The other league does another thing. The other league does another thing. All professional sports, all the commissioners should come together with the ownership and figure out a way where these players can get guaranteed money and not demand contracts or demand to be traded or opt out of their contract after a certain amount of time because they can because it's on their contract. That is my market up segment. Arrow, arrow, arrow. I I thought we've had this talk (laughs) several times. The last point that you were talking about was everyone having the same contract you know, all different leagues. Well, these are, these are all different sports, right? So Mm -hmm. there's a different risk with each sport. Uh, When you have, when you have basketball, you know, there's 14 guys on a roster, uh, you know, generally NBA players play a lot longer. Right now in the NFL, the reason that they have to have these contracts and the reason why, uh, you know, players fight for guaranteed money and extensions is because it's, there's such a high turnover. There's there's a new, you know, 500 players coming into the league every year. So that means 500 players are going to go. And with football is such a violent sport that if you you would be stupid as an owner to lock in a player for a fully guaranteed contract, you can't lock in 53 players for guaranteed contracts because now you have too many players on your roster. There's more free agents coming in the next year. And what happens if these guys don't pan out? So when you're a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson, that was a great example. <clears throat> for my argument that, that you brought up, mm-hmm. Muhammad Wilkerson, a guy who played great football. He was a, a um, all-pro defensive lineman, one of the premier defensive linemen in the league. And what did he do? He wanted guaranteed money. He wanted that long-term, co- uh, long-term contract to guarantee that his financial future because he earned that right. Now, after he signs the money, you can argue to say that he fell off as a player. Maybe he got comfortable. That's going to happen with some people. Some people aren't built the same way as others. But at the same time, he had that leg injury, and he was never the same player. But since because of what he did on that field, he had that guaranteed money to – guarantee his financial future he earned that money Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so he got hurt playing the game that he that he loves and that's the very reason why guys fight for this guaranteed money that's why jamal adams was fighting so hard to get paid because he's one play away from never playing football again i mean guys break their necks all the time guys have career ending injuries all the time and the only money that you're guaranteed is that money that you fight for and so that's the reason why players go back to the table. That's the reason why players demand new contracts. So don't sign him, Eric. So, don't, so Eric, don't sign him to these eight or seven year deals. You see Patrick Mahomes get well, a 10 well, year deal. Sign, well, if you sign, sign him a three year deal. deal. Sign him well, to that, a three or four year the, deal. The reason why you sign for an eight year deal is because there's more guaranteed money associated with that. So now you, the player is guaranteed more money. The Chiefs understand that if that they actually got a bargain in getting Patrick Mahomes at thirty-eight million dollars a year for ten years, when you know damn well, uh, you know if, if 
uh, Russell Wilson right now is making 34 million. Aaron Rodgers is making 33 million. The scale is going to continue to go up. And after seven years of that contract, there are going to be quarterbacks, some trash quarterbacks who are signed for $42 million a year contracts. And now you look at Patrick Mahomes and he's underpaid and he's still the premier player in the league. So they and he can opt out of that contract smart and signing him to that long-term deal, locking him in for that $39 million over 10 years. So, you know, it, it's a game that you have to teach. You have to, if you're an owner, you have to invest in certain players that you like, you know, if there's certain players that you don't know who are fringe players who could leave and you could, you know, replace them with a better talent, then you have to make that decision. So the contract situation is always going to be tough. And when you talk about free agency back in the day, when there was no free agency before 1988 in right. the NFL, players were locked into one team. Right. So they get paid peanuts. You get drafted to a team. They can pay you whatever they want. You're locked into a contract, right. and you have no you have no financial security. But you knew that was going to change, you Eric. Make, you you knew that was going to change. And if the money isn't going to the players, it's going to the owners. Now, who do you think should get the money? The owners are the players who are out there risking their lives. And so the players fought. Freeman McNeil led the charge. They fought for the right to have free uh, financial, uh, excuse me, free agency. So now you can go into the open market and and show your your product to the rest of the league and, and get more value for what you bring to the table. These guys sacrifice everything to be the best players they can be. Why not be compensated for it? Just like yourself, you're you you know you're a DJ, you're a radio host. You want to be compensated for your skill set. If you're bringing in, if you're drawing fans, listen to you. you. Have a huge following. <laughs> you're not going to be paid peanuts. You're going to demand a lot more money. Listen, to you take shots at me. Put in the work. That's the same thing for the players. Taking shots at me. Shots fired. Well, well, I, I just think that instead of giving these players long-term deals, give them two- or three-year deals and give them a boatload of money, money up front. And instead of extending these contracts to eight or nine years, and I agree with you, it's the way the NFL works, figure out a way you can give them a boatload of money where it's not going to affect your cap, it's not going to affect bringing in new players and, and possibly opting out after two or three years. Give Patrick Mahomes 60 or $70 million a year and sign him for three years. And then if you don't want him in three years, you can let him go and then bring in another quarterback and you have to pay him less. That's where I think the NFL needs to figure it out. The NBA too. Why are they giving players five years, 200, $250 million contracts? Instead of doing that, giving them a two or three year deal, giving them a boatload of money up front, giving them 50 or $60 million a year would make more sense. Look at the NHL. The NHL is doing it right. They're giving their players. The highest paid NHL player is making about 12 or $13 million. In any other sport, in basketball and baseball and in, in football, uh, they'd be screaming. These players would be screaming making that kind of money. I think that you should look at the NHL, and, and there are a lot of NHL players. And remember, the NHL draft, there's seven or eight different rounds in the NHL draft. And just like the NFL. So these players got to go somewhere. Then bring a G League. Bring in a league where you can make money off of if these players can't make those teams. That's where I think the NFL has it wrong. That's where I think a lot of these leagues, the NBA's figuring out they brought a G League. Now you don't have to go and play college ball. You can go play in a G League for one or two years, make about five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars $600,000 to help your family, and then get drafted. I think that's the way these professional sports have to figure it out. Instead of giving them these boatload, eight-year, nine-year deals, with $40 million guarantee. I think these NFL players should get guaranteed money. If I'm going to give you a three-year deal, I'm giving you 90 to $100 million. It will help these players know that they're going to get their money guaranteed, and it's not going to be any argument if they decide to opt out after the three-year contract. So 
I don't think that these contracts should be five, six, seven, eight years. I think they should lower the contracts and figure it out, just like baseball is trying to figure out not paying the starting pitcher. These starting pitchers aren't going to be pitching six or seven innings anymore like they did in the olden days, pitching nine innings. Now you have relief pitchers that could be making money, uh, making just as much as the starting pitcher, which will probably happen in the near future because Rob Manford sees it and players and organizations see it. Why pay the pitcher $326 million for nine years when I could pay a relief pitcher three-year deal worth about 50 or $60 million and not have to pitch, not have to pay these guys like a Garrett Cole $326 million. So that's my argument. I, I think players deserve the money. I just think you should cut down the years and give them guaranteed money. Football should be guaranteed. Not, oh, I'm going to give you $86 million, but I'm going to give you $40 million guaranteed. I'm going to give you $80 million guaranteed for three years because you deserve it. You've earned it. I want you on my team for three years. Not give them five years and say, you know what, after three years, you know what, I don't want you anymore. You're slowing down. I'm going to opt out. I'm gonna, you're going to go somewhere else, and your career is going to completely be over. So the NHL has it right. But all the other sports, professional sports, have to figure this out. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, the last segment of the day, we do this every week, Crunch Time with me and Eric Coleman. <laughs> I love the music selection today, man. It's great. Come on. Speedy what? jamming what? today. Oh, he is speedy. Speedy is jamming today. I'm loving it. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 6 p.m. Uh, I'm sorry, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Mr. Eric Coleman, we are brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And right now, I want to thank the LI News Radio Network for having us. We're very happy to be Long Island's own sports radio network, sports radio show here in Long Island. We want to be the voices and the voice of Long Island and New York sports. And hopefully in the near future, me and Eric Coleman, me and Eric, will be the voice of New York sports. Hold up. Got to let that beat ride out. <laughs> so, I know you breaking like that. News. I know you like breaking that. Breaking news. The, the Mid-American Conference has canceled their football season uh, because of the COVID pandemic. And the Big Ten Conference is meeting today to figure out the, f- the future of this fall uh, for their football season and all the fall sports. So, you know, interesting uh, breaking news that's going on. You know, the college football season is definitely in jeopardy. Uh, hopefully the NFL moves forward and everyone can stay he- healthy. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, on the Mid-American Conference and possibly the Big Ten Conference canceling their season? First of all, I don't see Roger Goodell canceling the season no matter what happens. The NFL is a business like you talk about, and it's all about making money. Roger Goodell plans to push forward with the NFL season. That's why they're not going to have a preseason. It's going to hurt some teams like the offensive linemen and the defensive linemen. But all in all, I think that the Big Ten and the MAC division, I believe that there isn't going to be an NCAA season for football, which really hurts the draft and where some of these players are going to be drafted or where they, if they decide to go into the draft this year. This might be a, a very poor draft, so it could help Seattle making that trade for Jamal Adams. Who knows what's going to happen moving forward with the draft. So Joe Douglas is a great talent evaluator. He's been known to do that. He sits and watches film in his basement every single day. So I think there will be GMs running their organizations and figuring out who they should go after in the first round. But I think it's going to hurt the draft. It's going to hurt moving forward for the NCAA and some of these college players that me and Speedy interview every single week, some of the guys like Devin Kirkwood and 
and some of these top prospects who are expecting to have a season this year, they're not going to have a season, and they're going to be doing a, a lot of their school and their exams on Zoom. They're not going to be going into the universities because of COVID-19. This is a complete catastrophe when it comes to uh, college sports and professional sports. Absolutely. And, and how tough is it going to be to evaluate the talent if you're an NFL scout, if you're a college scout, uh, if you're an organization, you got a first round pick. How do you evaluate the player? Because there's so many times that younger players develop and have breakout seasons and, and emerge as you know, top picks. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hard to find those diamonds in the rough right now without a season. As you guys know, we call this segment Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. So welcome to this week's edition of Crunch Time. As we do have done the last two weeks, it is a buy or sell type theme. So here we go. We're going to start this week in the NBA. The Portland Trailblazers have been red hot and they play against the Clippers today. They will stay hot and upset the Clippers today. Buy or sell. Go ahead, Eric. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. My bad, Eric. I didn't mean to cut you <laughs> off. But I love. I, I mean, we talked about Dame Dollar earlier. Carmelo, the slim Carmelo, is playing some great basketball right now. They have some great continuity, and I love the heart that they play with. So I, I'm, I'm buying this. I'm one. selling it. The Clippers are the better team. Uh, I believe they're the, they're going to be the Western Conference championship championship this year, and they're going to be the Western Conference Conference champion. I, I do believe they're going to be the NBA champion. Uh, Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard, th- these guys are some of the best defensive players in the league uh, and very good offensive players. I think they have four of the best def- four of the best top ten defensive players in the league, perimeter defensive players, and I think they're going to completely shut down the Portland Trailblazers. So I'm going to sell. All right, go to baseball now. The 7-1 and one Miami Marlins will make the playoffs. <laughs> Ooh, I'm buying. I'm buying. You know, I, I love there's nothing better than, you know, when the team uh, hits a hot streak. You know, it builds their confidence and it gives them, uh, you know, it does give them that confidence that they can go out there and compete against the top teams. And, you know, there, there's, it's, it's a dangerous situation when you give a team who's not supposed to be, you know, at the top when you give them confidence because that confidence will be enough, you know, to, to win a couple of games. So, you know, with, with the expanded playoffs this year and the Mets playing terrible, I, I think the Marlins have a shot. I'm selling not a chance in hell the Marlins are making the playoffs. I think as we move forward and as the season moves forward, uh, there are other teams that are much more talented in the National League uh, that will eventually take over. And I do believe they're not even close to the best team in that division. The Braves haven't played well yet. Philadelphia is obviously figuring things out. They beat the Yankees over the weekend. I mean, over the week. So I do believe there's a very good chance that these teams are going to finally and eventually take over the National League. I'm going to sell it. I do not believe the Marlins are making the playoffs. Buy or sell, one of the 12 seeds, either the Montreal Canadiens or Chicago Blackhawks, will win another round in the playoffs. Come on, Blackhawks. We, we, we talked about how tough the Blackhawks are. Uh, you know, I'm buying this one. I think, I think they have a shot to, to win at the next level. Uh, what do I'm, you think, Earl? I'm buying it. I'm absolutely buying it. They're, they have a great offensive team. Their defense is start, starting to figure things out. Being off as long as they have, they got healthy. They have great goaltending. The Chicago Blackhawks are, are a Stanley Cup championship team. They've won three Stanley Cups with some of the players that are still on the team. I'm buying it, baby. Buy or sell. Chandler Jones made a statement that Michael Strahan's sack record is easy to break. So buy or sell. <laughs> it will be broken within the next five years. You know what? I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell that. Um, I, you know what? 
I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it. Listen, if, if it was so easy to be broken, then it would have been done by now. Uh, but listen, with that being said, you are seeing some very talented defensive linemen who are, you know, getting close. You know, they're scratching the surface. Uh, they're getting better. I mean, Aaron Donald, who's a defensive tackle, is starting to become a, a, a well, he is one of the premier pass rushers. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and sell that it's easy to break. Ah, I, I wouldn't say it's easy to break, but I'm going to buy it. I, I, I also look at uh, Michael Strahan. He played in a league where a lot of people, a lot of offensive lines didn't really stop him in certain games. I think that you, you look at the game and at the transition of the game, when you look at Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, and the Bosa brothers, and, and some of the good pass rushes in the league, I don't know if it's going to be easy to break, but I do believe eventually it will be broken. Records are mean to be broken, except Joe DiMaggio's record. I don't think the hit, uh, the, what, what is it, the hitting record? Hitting streak. The hitting streak. Games. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be broken, but every other record will be broken. So I'm going to buy it. It will be broken. It's not going to be easy to break. All right, buy or sell with the Mets struggling badly. A significant player, not necessarily a superstar like DeGrom or Alonzo, but a significant player will be traded within the next week or so. Buy or sell. Ooh, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and sell that one. You know, I, I think they, they stick with the core. Um, obviously, they they lost a, a, a key player and opting out in Cespedes, um, but I, I think that they keep the unit together. They have confidence that they can put it you know put this thing back together and get on the winning way getting on get on the winning side of things as long as the will ponds are running that organization i'm gonna buy it they're gonna trade off whatever single player they they have and i do believe noah Syndergaard is available to be traded right now because he has tommy john surgery he's not playing this year i could see the will ponds trading him and trying to bring in some young talent there'll be somebody that they're going to trade away there's not a season that we've seen in the last couple of years of where the mets haven't traded away a significant piece I do believe the Mets will trade a significant piece, especially this year when there'll be availability uh, for some players in the offseason to go to free agency. So I'm going to buy it. The Mets will trade a significant piece away. Buy or sell. Alvin Kamara will be paid by the Saints as a top five paid running back this year. I'm, I'm going to sell it. You know, I, I don't think teams value that position as much anymore. You know, you, you see, you know, a, a lot of players, obviously Zeke Elliott got paid big bucks, Christian McCaffrey, um, which well, I think Alvin Kamara is in that that realm of a Christian McCaffrey, a guy who can run between the tackles. He can you know catch the ball to the backfield, kill you in the screen game. I, I, I definitely think that he should be valued at that. But I don't know if he's going to scratch top five money just because of the fact that, you know, they have a Drew Brees, they have Michael Thomas. There are a ton of players on that team who are getting high salaries and why I think he's going to be happy with the amount of money he's getting, I don't know if he'll scratch the top five. I'm going to buy it, and I'll tell you why. Drew Brees, this is his last season. And uh, knowing that it's his last season, we don't know who the quarterback is going to be. So they're going to need a running back, a star running back, to take over the offense. And we don't know who's going to be dishing the ball to Michael Thomas in the future. So I'm going to buy it. Alvin Kamara will get his money. The Brooklyn Nets will retain interim coach Jack Vaughn because they have played well so far in the bubble. You know what? I, I love Jock Vaughn. He was one of my, my favorite collegiate players. You know, I, I kind of consider myself a defensive stopper like Jock Vaughn uh, when I was playing. And uh, I, I just love the, I love his, his, his techniques. I mean, they play great defense. Uh, they're, they're playing in, enthused basketball. And I think that he's a guy who can relate to a ton of players. Uh, I think he's been a great coach and he has a, a bright future ahead of him. I'm going to sell absolutely sell. First of all, he was the coach of the Orlando Magic. Where did they go? Okay. 
I, I don't think he's a good head coach. You had Kenny Atkinson, and you decided to fire a guy who's one of the best known, young, pretty uh, respectable coaches in the NBA, and they just completely let go of him. And they bring in uh, Jock Vaughn to take over the team. Jock Vaughn isn't Kenny Atkinson. So I'm going to sell that. There's no way in hell Jock Vaughn will be coaching this team next year. Antonio Brown, at some point in his career, if he, if he continues to play, will either return to the Steelers or Patriots. I'm selling that. You know, I, I think these are... Um, two first-class organizations who don't need uh, to deal with the shenanigans to get talent into their organization. Uh, you know, I, I do think Antonio Brown has a, you know, a, a, a great amount of talent. He's a, he's a phenomenal player, but the distractions that come with him over overpower, you know, the, the talent that he goes out there on the field. You know, um, I, I think it's going to take an organization that's, you know, reaching for some great players who need some talent, who maybe have had an injury or they're looking for that number one receiver. But I don't see, definitely don't see the Steelers bringing him in. And the Patriots, I think that bridge has been burned as well. I'm selling it. There's no way in hell he's coming back at the NFL. Nobody wants a cancer. This guy has been a cancer since he's come into the league. And really, what you haven't heard in the last four or five years, in early in his, in his career, he was speaking. It just, he wasn't a big name. When he became a big name, social media came out. All the, doof, the, the doofy things that he has done on and off the field. He will not be playing in the NFL ever again. But he is a Hall of Famer. Buy or sell. Amari Cooper said the Cowboys will have three 1,000-yard receivers this year. (laughs) Buy or sell. The Cowboys will actually only have one 1,000-yard receiver this year. I'm going to buy that they're just going to have one. You know, I I, I do think that uh, Dak Prescott, you know, should be paid, should be given that long-term security, uh, and he proved himself last year. Uh, But I I don't think that they'll have multiple 1,000-yard receivers. I I think that they're going to rely a lot on Zeke Elliott in in the run game. Amari Cooper, definitely a 1,000-yard receiver. But I don't see anyone else, uh, you know, emerging as a, as another thousand yard receiver. I believe so there. I believe there's going to be two. I think there will be two. C.D. Lamb and absolutely Mari Cooper. Mari Cooper, since he's come to the Cowboys, thousand yard seasons, both thousand yard seasons. He got his contract. He will with C.D. Lamb. It's going to open up opportunity for the for him to get even more yards and more opportunity to score touchdowns. I will buy that two of them will be a uh, thousand yards. There won't be three. There will not be three, so there will be two. All righty, that'll do it for today's edition of Crunch Time. Well, I would like to thank, by the way, Marvin Washington, ex-NFL player, played for the New York Jets and the San Francisco 49ers and the Denver Broncos, for joining us. He gave us a good insight with cannabis, talked about his New York Jet career, his career as uh, as uh, a business guy, and, and really what he has done really after football is, is incredible. Guys, we will be back next week. We'll have another great guest. We're going to have a great show lined up for you, me and Eric. Uh, remember, guys, this is brought to you by the LI News Radio Network, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and the New York Sports Scene Magazine. Eric, do you have anything to say before we go? No, everybody be safe, protect yourself, and, you know, God bless. God bless is right, especially here with no lights and no electricity. Hopefully, lights and electricity will go on, and we will move forward with our lives here with the COVID-19 situation and the pandemic. Hopefully, we will have a vaccine in the near future. We will be back next week. Until then, this is Eric Coleman and Errol Mark saying good night, and we'll talk to you next week on The Weekend Crunch.